It was the night before playoffs when all through the Bronx, not a creature was stirring, just some car honks. The golf clubs were cleaned by Cashman with care in the hopes that his stalker would end her affair. The players were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of Cancun danced in their heads. And old Boone in his kerchief and Hal in his cap had just settled their brains, <laughs> yeah right, for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Over by the window, Cole packed his bags. These losers wasted my Cy Young season, and he started to gag. <laughs> what to my wondering eyes did appear, but Captain Aaron Judge and Stanton's dead career. With a washed-up pitcher driving a Chevy, <laughs> knew in a moment it must be St. Sevy. As usual, Cash gave everyone else the blame, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Sevy, now Rodon, now Bowers and Boone, I never want to see you near this locker room. <laughs> to the top of the wall, the Ashes win, and we're at home to the disgust of all. But again, we hear Cash exclaim as he avoids job harm. It's right in front of us. Now let's eat some chicken parm. Well, everybody, <laughs> welcome to the 1914 episode of Championship or Bust with Max, Zach, and Josh. Uh, I'll let you hear it immediately. You know, I got to give it up. How long did it take you to come up with that? Oh, my gosh. About 10 minutes. That was amazing. Wasn't too bad. With some distractions, about ten minutes. <laughs> that was Part great, of the job, man. Part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> Do we really have to talk about the Red Sox? All right, fine. Let's get this over with. The golf balls aren't going to hit themselves, so we better get started. Uh, we got Boston, and we have the Philadelphia Athletics, and I'm done. Josh, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know how I can follow that, but I'll try. <laughs> so the 1914 World Series, American League, Philadelphia Athletics. National League, Boston Braves, the Miracle Braves, the last place team at July 4th, ended up finishing the season winning the National League by 10 and a half games. The Braves would end up winning this World Series as the first four-game sweep in World Series history. Now, no one really thought that the Braves stood a chance. They didn't have the battle-tested Hall of fame studded roster the Athletics did. Hell, they didn't even play in their own home stadium. The Braves actually abandoned their home stadium in August of that year, waiting for their new stadium to be built, which would open the following year. Nice and they played all their games. About. <laughs> and they played <laughs> all their games at Fenway. Fenway Park. So they actually technically never played a home game. Crazy. So the A's were expected to pretty much run the Braves over. They were a much better team on paper. Uh, Connie Mack actually let uh, the star pitcher, Chief Bender, take the week off and just go scout the Braves personally. So Bender, you know what he did? Took a vacation. And then when he was asked why he took a vacation, he said, quote, why should I check out a bunch of Bush League hitters? Oh. That's the spirit. Oh, wow. Throwing shade. <laughs> so, Every stereotypical veteran in a baseball movie. Absolutely. So, to the Braves' credit, they had a really good manager, George Stallings. He was known to be a bit bitter, scornful, but the guy was a master tactician. A lot of players said great things about him because he like really knew how to push guys buttons and uh he, basically he players said that when they went out and there and played that 1914 world series that they all thought that they were the best players that the world had ever seen at their position <laughs> and even though they may not have been and they probably shouldn't have beat the a's they played like the best players the world has ever seen the braves didn't use the athletics visiting clubhouse what? And used, uh -huh. They had, there was another park next door where the Phillies played, the National League Phillies played, and they used that clubhouse 
for all of the games. Are you serious? Yes. Did they give a reasoning behind that? They called it mind games. Well, I guess that that would work. (laughs) Yeah. To just disrespect the team that was supposed to be better. Yeah. Now this manager was smart, huh? (laughs) He, He was master tactician. That's the old days of Aaron Judge blaring New York, New York on the loudspeaker, except it actually worked. <laughs> yeah. yep. So, getting into it. Game one, Braves, 26 game winner, Dick Rudolph, takes the mound against Chief Bender. And what happens? Chief Bender sucks. Braves <laughs> catcher Hank Gowdy gets a single, a double, a triple, and a walk. Oh, a 7-1 blowout win. So Just close. Absolutely dominated Mr. Bush League hitters. <laughs> Game two saw the Braves' other 26-game winner, Bill James, take the mound against Eddie Plank. James let just three runners on base in the first eight innings, and Plank would match him until the ninth inning when center fielder Amos Stunk would lose a fly ball in the sun for a double. Oh, boy, do we love errors. But he wasn't even charged for one because he just couldn't find it. A steal and a two-out single would bring in that run, and that was all they needed. And Braves would win that game one to nothing. Game three saw Lefty Tyler go up against Bullet Joe Bush in an extra inning thriller. Uh, The game was tied at two in the tenth when home run Baker would single in two runs with a two-out single and took the lead. And the Braves end up answering back in the bottom of the tenth. Who else? Hank Gowdy with a solo shot to lead off the inning, giving the Braves some life, and a sack fly would later tie it. Uh, Bill James, off his win in game two, just two days earlier, would enter the game in relief for the Braves in the eleventh. And in the twelfth inning... Who else but Hank Gowdy would lead off with a double, and the pinch runner would end up scoring for him wow. when a poorly played bunt was thrown past their base into left field and scored the winning run. <laughs> Game four, with the Braves up 3-0, so Johnny Evers break a 1-1 tie in the fifth inning with two outs, two-run single. That just absolutely broke the spirits of the A's, who would only manage one more base runner for the rest of the game and the rest of the series. That A's team hit a whopping 172. Oh, jeez. No homers for that entire series. Connie Sounds Max like Stan. This series. Yeah, it does sound like Stan. Connie Max said this series was the worst disappointment of his career. It's so interesting to see, like, hear all those guys. I mean, they've been so dominant as long as we've been doing this podcast, and I guess they're finally losing it, you know? It's crazy. I mean, on paper, they should have won. Yeah. I thought they were going to. I thought the Braves would be a walk, a pushover, you know? All right, so before we get to the Hall of Famers, I actually want to add on to Josh's point about Hank Gowdy. So Hank Gowdy's career was an interesting one. Uh, obviously, he dominated in this World Series. For the actual stat purposes, he had a 545 batting average and a 1.960 OPS. Wow. He went 6 for 11 with a home run, three RBIs, the three doubles, and a triple. So absolute domination. But in two other World Series appearances with the New York Giants, um, he had – a zero batting average where he went 0 for 4 and in 1924 he went 7 for 27 for a 259 so clearly this was the one uh playoff appearance and world series appearance where he really did much of any substance um for his career he had 270 with a 709 career ops and a 104 career ops plus now you may be wondering why am i wasting time on mentioning that career well two things about him number one uh he was the first active major leaguer to enlist in World War One, and he's still the only – well, obviously still because no one else is going to do it, but he was the only player to fight in both World Wars. Wow. Now, okay. to add on to this, um, 
he also has the record. I, I'm going to be honest. I looked up his name. The only reason why I looked up his name was because I wanted to see if he was related to the famous sports announcer, Kirk Gowdy. Doesn't look like he is. But when you go on, actually, his Wikipedia page, there's a tab dedicated to, quote, unsuccessful Hall of Fame bid. <laughs> and this is where I learned that he had the most unsuccessful Hall of Fame induction attempts of anyone of all time. Oh, my God. So with that career that I illustrated to you, he had – now, remember how the ballot used to have 15 years on the BBWAA if you stayed over 5%? Yep. And um, it went down to 10 during the steroid era to try to get them off the ballot quicker, even though they didn't actually say that. Um, he had 17 different years on the BBWAA. And he was under 5%, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 times out of those 17. He peaked actually at 35.9%, which is higher than a lot of people who ended up in the Hall of Fame. Um, if you listen, like I said, 104 OPS plus, uh, 709 career OPS, 270 batting average, and only had one real World Series where he did anything of substance. Yes, he dominated. So I'm part of me is wondering if he got those votes and that support because of his performance in that World Series alone or because of the the World War One and Two historical factor. And it makes me think about the character clause from Kitasaur Mountain Landis where he said that, you know, the play the voting should be based on players' playing ability, integrity, sports group character, contributions to which the player played on the team to which the player played. And the goal of that, and it's been so twisted now, is that the Hall of Fame was supposed to honor good behavior and honor good men who were also great players. And I guess maybe Gowdy would have been the embodiment of that as yeah. opposed to dishonoring, quote-unquote, the people who maybe show poor character. The historians will tell you that that's what the intention of the character clause was, and it's taken, obviously, a life of its own that we'll be talking about for years on end. But I just wanted to kind of mention that because I just saw a couple fun things on Gowdy and I wanted to point him out. Anyway, on to the Hall of Famers, umpire Bill Clem. He's the only one that <laughs> was an umpire in that one, but I'm going to point out the umpires every chance I get. Uh, for losing athletics, Connie Mack, sixth American League pennant, has three total rings. Again, ranked him third best ever. That hasn't – none of this has really changed since the last pod we did. Uh, Frank Home Run Baker, his, first, his fourth appearance but his first loss – so mm-hmm. he's still at three rings, went four for 16, had two doubles, no home runs. Big sad for home run Baker. Uh, <laughs> but 250 average with a 669 OPS, which sounds really weird to me. Like it's one of those times when the batting average and the OPS doesn't really match up. But I guess that's why you need OPS. And I still have him number nine, third baseman between Dick Allen and Nolan Arenado. Just bringing that back up for context purposes. Uh, Chief Bender, obviously Josh mentioned that he struggled mightily. 0-1 with a 10.13 ERA in his one appearance, Oof. six runs in 5.1 innings. It's his fifth World Series appearance and his second loss, so he also has three rings. Um, he's level one, 47th pitcher I have between Rube Woodell, who we talked about in the past, and Don Drysdale, who we will talk about in future episodes. Herb Pennick, we talked about last time for the first time. Second appearance, has the one previous ring. Uh, threw three shutout innings in relief. Definitely a baseman Hall of Famer. Uh, also a Yankee with the murders row. So he'll, his name is going to come up a million times in mm-hmm. the near future. Eddie Plank, his fifth appearance, also his third ring, obviously. 0-1 with a one ERA. He had one earned run, nine innings pitched, and threw a complete, obviously threw a complete game, no extra innings, and he <laughs> lost. So 6-4 strikeout to walk ratio, and I have him level two. Pro- I honestly don't know where to put him. I keep 
getting tossed and turned. But I basically have him in the same realm as Addie Joss and Mike Mussina and Kurt Schilling and all them. Eddie Collins, talking about a million times, fourth appearance, three rings so far. Obviously, he lost this one. It's his last World Series appearance in Philadelphia because he didn't play in the other times that they were there. He left Philadelphia for a while, then came back. His team made it in 1929 and 1930, but he didn't play in them. So I'll, I'll shout him out when that comes up, but I won't mention him as much. But his name will come up a lot more soon with the Chicago White Sox as well. In this one, he went 3 for 14, no extra base hits, one RBI. Correlates to a 214 batting average, 527 OPS. Yikes. Level four, number four, second baseman between Jackie Robinson and Rod Carew. And back to the winning Boston Braves. We have Johnny Evers, who obviously the name came up before. Fifth World Series appearance, his first and only one in Boston after four in Chicago. And this is now his third World Series ring. He went seven for 16, 438 batting average, and had two RBIs. I have him in the basement, but I can see the argument just in terms of his significance to baseball history that he would be in with the whole Tinkers to Evers to Chance thing. So I get the argument, uh, but he's one of those guys that a lot of people will say doesn't belong in. And the only new member of the Hall of Fame that makes his World Series debut here is Rabbit Moranville. And I use the word new ironically uh, because he was the Omar Vizquel way before Omar Vizquel. Uh-oh. Shortstop, very little bat. He had a career average of 258, which is still one of the lowest in the Hall of Fame. I believe Ray Schalk has the lowest, like 256 or something like that. And a 658 OPS, he spent most of his career in Boston, and he had an 82 OPS plus. Keep in mind, Boston, 82 wow. OPS plus. Played for Boston, Pittsburgh, Chicago, St. Louis, and Brooklyn. 2,600 career hits in 2,670 games, so like Vizquel, a lot of compiling. Definitely a basement guy, but like Johnny Evers, he's someone who was certainly relevant in the history of the game. Uh, he did finish in the top 10 of defensive war in his league 14 different times. And he's seventh all-time in defensive work, just defense. He's behind all Hall of Famers except for Mark Bellinger, who was a 228 career hitter and was only playing because of defensive purposes. Uh, he was elected by the BBWAA in 1954, and he's one of the few BBWAA picks that I personally wouldn't have agreed with. But again, mm-hmm. I don't know what the perception was back then. He might have been lauded as the greatest defensive shortstop ever, and I could see where there could be a path to election for that. Um, I think he would have had a better shot at having more, I guess, respect among the baseball historians if gold gloves existed back then, even though a lot of people question the legitimacy of gold gloves as it is. Mm-hmm. But I think if he was able to win 11, 12 gold gloves like Vizquel did, there might be a little more of a backup to his case. But unfortunately, gold gloves didn't exist back then. Um, went four for 13 in the World Series, all singles. Like I said, I have him in the basement, but I can see the argument because he is a very big name in the history of baseball and in that time period. And that's it for the Hall of Famers, so I'll turn it over to Josh for his central question. You know, like I said, this team was known as the Miracle Braves. So I thought a good topic today would be, what are some other, you know, quote, miracle teams that won championships that you guys can think of off the top of your head? So, Mike, Zach, you got one? That one championship, that championship caveat makes it a little bit interesting because I had a couple that actually didn't. But I'll go with, I'll start off with this: uh, the 1985 Villanova Wildcats. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because like there's a lot of local references here. Rolly Massimino is um, an all-time coach who was a Stony Brook alum, 
and oh. uh, Everson was a star play, uh, one of the centers on the team. He actually got drafted in the NBA and he lives on Long Island. So, um, but they were an eight seed who won the NCAA tournament when it was 64 teams. Wow. So obviously they rolled through. They're still the highest seed to ever win the tournament. Obviously we'll see every once in a while, Cinderella teams that are 11, 12, 14 seeds in the final four or elite eight, but they actually won it. So that one stood out to me automatically, but Zach, I think a common theme a lot of us are going to have here are these teams were obviously either terrible in the first half or just didn't click and had a great second half run to come back and either sneak into the playoffs or even win their division. First one that came to my head was the most recent 2019 Washington Nationals. That's a good pick. Yeah, they started 19-31. and 31, um, And then after the All-Star break, had a huge comeback and actually finished with 93 wins and snuck into the wild card. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but their playoff run was kind of crazy. Their wild card game, they beat the Brewers. They were actually losing 3-1 to one in the ninth inning. And you remember Josh Hader. Uh, that was the year where he kind of like blew up, but he also blew the save that year for the Brewers. So the, you know, the Nats ended up winning that one. And then they faced the Dodgers in the NLDS. And we all know how that went. Dave Roberts being Dave Roberts. Um, he brought in Kershaw in game five to give up those back-to-back home runs to tie the, you know, allowing the Nets to tie the game. And then uh, Howie Kendrick, I'll never forget, he hit that grand slam. I think it was in the 10th inning, go-ahead grand slam, and that was insane to me. I couldn't believe that happened. I remember that. I was freaking out. I wanted Scherzer to get a ring so bad. Uh, I, at the time, I was a big Kershaw can't perform in the postseason guy, so that just fit my narrative really, really well. You were, very, you were the happiest I've ever seen you in that. I was. I very so much anti-Kershaw for no reason. I was. Because I don't think he is like the best pitcher ever, but we can have that conversation later. Yes, uh, well, we will. Plenty of time. So, <laughs> and then they obviously they won the World Series. They swept the Cardinals in the NLCS because no one remembers that. Because I don't remember that either. Uh, but yep. they obviously beat Houston in seven, and that World Series was odd. We will get to that years down the road because um, the home team did not win a game that World Series. Uh, <laughs> and the other. Baseball team I had, which I'm sure, Mike, you have on your list, is, of, of course, the 69 Mets. Absolutely. Uh, first expansion team to win the World Series, eight years into their existence. No one gave them an ounce of a chance to do anything in the regular season, let alone win the World Series. They ended up winning their 38 out of their last 50 games to finish with 100 wins. They faced Baltimore at the time, who had guys like Brooks Robinson, um, Jim Palmer, like other stars, basically stars at every position. And at that time, the late 60s Orioles were considered one of the best teams ever, and the Mets ended up beating them in five games. Um, so those are the two that came to my mind. That was the top on my list. I'll turn over to Josh to see what he got, and then I'll I'll go with mine. Uh, to, to move away from baseball, then I'm going to go with some hockey. Another team, rightfully named Miracle, and had a movie after them. Minus thirty thousand odds hits. Let's go. <laughs> ding ding ding. I literally wrote it in parentheses. Minus thirty thousand odds. Josh has this one. The nineteen eighty United States of America Olympic hockey team. Do you believe in miracles? If you haven't heard the story, yes. if you haven't heard the story, you're living under a rock. And if you haven't watched the movie, you haven't lived because some of the quotes in that movie, Herb Brooks was a genius, and some of the things he said just, you know, they're they're great quotes. Can I make a confession? I mean, that team. Oh, no, don't say you it. You say you've I've never, never watched it. Don't oh say it. I've don't seen the last it. 20 minutes, and that was it. You're killing me. <laughs> You're killing me. You're killing me. You know what? I think uh, you need to go watch that movie immediately. 
Get back from Ohio. We will. (laughs) Uh, You got to watch it. I mean, it's one of the great sports movies of all time. It really is. Great moments are born from great opportunities. (laughs) So if you don't know the story and you're living under a rock, like Mac here, (laughs) (laughs) the 1980 Olympic United States team was a bunch of college kids. You know, uh, National League players were not allowed to play in the Olympics. And the United States, in the middle of the Cold War with Russia, matched up with Russia in, or I should say, the Soviets in the Olympics. And the Soviets were a machine. They played, you know, usually you play three forwards and two defensemen. The Soviets played five-man units. They were tough. They were big. They could score. And they had... At the time, probably the best goaltender in the world in Tretiak and that. And everybody everybody was afraid of him. Nobody could hang with him. The Soviets would come to America and play the national the NHL All Stars and then beat the absolute crap out of them. Yep. Routinely. So nobody expected this USA team of twenty year old college students to hang with Russia, let alone beat them and then go on and win a gold medal. But that is the genius of her Brooks. And if you haven't seen that movie, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You should, should be. be ashamed. I feel great shame. As an American, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Every American should watch that movie. If you like hockey or not. But true. Uh, yes. You know, what's also unacceptable is having a topic about this and not mentioning the 2016 Chicago Cubs. They were not a miracle team. They had 103 a wins. Team, here's why. They had 103 and wins. There were plenty of times that they had 90, 100 wins and that everyone thought they were going to be the favorites and they always choked it because of the curse. That was the miracle team that broke the curse. They're not the team that no one expected and came out of nowhere, but they're absolutely a miracle team because they're the ones who actually got it done when no one thought the Cubs would ever win a title in their lifetime. They're 100% a miracle team. It's blasphemous if you think otherwise. When doing my research for the pod, I looked them up and went, oh, they had 103 wins. I'm not going to talk about them. It depends on your definition of miracle. They absolutely are. But they were never, ever in, like, last place. Like the Nats, I said before, they were they had 19 wins in last place. And, they were in know. last place for a decade prior. Right. I, feel like, I feel like they're a miracle in, like, a sarcastic way where it's like, holy crap, they finally did it. Yeah. That's exactly like, what It's a miracle. miracle. Oh, my God. I was going to put the 2016 Cavs in there, too, but I figured that with LeBron James is never a miracle, you know? But yeah. the Cubs didn't have – and we'll be talking about it for many moons with this pod. The Cubs don't have anyone other than maybe John Lester who's going to have any Hall of Fame chance. Eventually, someone's going to get in who – really shouldn't be because of that connection to the team. But the fact that they won it with that team, when they've had greats for years, Ernie Banks, Billy Williams, Fergie Jenkins, Ryan Sandberg, Mm -hmm. and they were never able to get it done. And now magically they are with this group of really, really good, but not quite great players. You had one MVP season out of Chris Bryant, yes, but he didn't really last with the way we thought he would, right? Baez was that guy for about three years, and now he can't. He can't. And now he's ball. awful. Yeah. And Josh, I'm going to continue my unacceptable rant. How how are you a Giant fan, and you did not mention the 2007? Well, movie. you didn't let me finish my goddamn yeah. list yet. Well, <laughs> done. Go ahead. Fine. Take. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on to football, I was going to go back to hockey and talk about the 2019 St. Louis Blues. Yay. 
Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not really yay, but they're a team. <laughs> I like Ryan O'Reilly. So, uh, yeah, of course you do, Mr. Sabres fan. Yeah. Anyway, the Blues. The Blues were not doing very well. As a matter, as a matter of fact, they were the worst team in the NHL on January 2nd, three months after the season had started. And they ended up firing their head coach and named their assistant coach, the interim coach. And then proceeded to go on a 30-10-5 run to finish the season, run their way all the way through the playoffs, and then go and win a cup behind rookie goaltender Jordan Bennington and MVP Ryan O'Reilly. Ending, at the time, the third longest cup drought ever, their first cup in their existence. Mike, you can talk about the Giants. Go ahead. Okay. So, resiliency. (laughs) The ability to overcome obstacles. Uh, I know where this is going. Resiliency. The ability to bounce back. So they started off 0-2. Then they ran off six straight. Yes, I have the entire Super Bowl hype video memorized from when I was eight. (laughs) So, but anyway, they were a team, obviously, that no one really expected to pop through. Everyone was skeptical of Eli Manning. Tom Coughlin was on the hot seat at the beginning of that year. And like I said, they started off 0-2. And I remember going into school – you know, little second grade Mac, and you know, I said if they they cannot go zero and three, and I was one hundred percent certain they were going to go zero and three. They did not go zero and three, and they kept the historical precedents alive. They go to the playoffs. They play Tampa, who the panel actually picked them to lose to, even though that was a little more evenly matched than the ones that were coming up. They win that one. They go to Dallas in Dallas. Enemy territory, Tony Romo, Terrell Owens, and that was the origin of the That's My Quarterback speech from T.O. And they end up beating them off of, I believe it was Corey Webster interception. Then they go to Green Bay and Lambeau in negative four degrees, taking on Brett Favre and the Packers, and they win that. Surely there's no way they're going to beat the six, the 16-0, and now 18-0 and at this point, New England Patriots. I remember being the only person in our elementary school who said <laughs> win and everyone thought I was nuts. And then I come in the next day like a hero because I had it right. And people actually spent, including teachers, actually came up to me asking me who I thought was going to win the following games in other seasons, in other sports. So okay, all of a sudden I became a little prodigy. Thank you to the New York Giants <sighs> for that. But they absolutely were a miracle team. They were that night, February 3rd, 2008, was one of the greatest nights of my sports life. Uh, thank you to the Tyreek catch. It looked over until Eli escapes four Patriot tacklers, throws it to Tyree. He makes the helmet catch, and he throws a beautiful ball to Plaxico Burris. Giants, honestly, might be the biggest miracle team on this list, considering the circumstances that the Patriots were undefeated and even before that they went on the road won four straight playoff games after starting off 0-2 and only having one Hall of Famer on the team possibly a second if Eli Manning gets in and we'll have that debate plenty of times going forward is that an if is that actually an if it is a lot of people are against it but that's wow he beat Tom Brady twice I don't care I I agree but a lot of people outside New York don't Michael Strahan's the only Hall of Famer in there right now, and other than Eli, he's the only one with really half a chance. Wow. They took that team against Tom Brady, Randy Moss, Junior Seau, rest in peace, Ty Law, Rodney Harrison, all guys who were that Hall of Fame level, Teddy Bruschi, Wes Welker, mm-hmm. and they beat them. 
And that means something. No one thought they had any chance. And they pulled it off. And the last one I have here. Well, hold on. Before you move on, i just like to say that 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 game-winning drive in the fourth quarter, that's like universally known as one of like the top five fourth quarter game-winning drives, period. Oh, 100%. The scary thing is. The the helmet catch is one of the greatest catches ever. Of all time. Yeah, I have it as the, but I understand the argument. There's definitely others that are in the conversation. I'm not going to be that much of a homer and say it's by far the best. There are others up there. Like you have the Drew Pearson Hail Mary, you have the Santonio Holmes out of bounds catch, you have the Julian Edelman catch where you caught it. Yeah, I was going to say that one. You have the immaculate reception with Franco Harris. Like I get it, but it's definitely in that upper echelon of you know Mm -hmm. top ten catches of all time. Wherever at that point, wherever you rank them, you rank them. But does anybody have any others before I gave you my last one? Because I'm going to vomit. No. Oh wait, do I know where you're? Do I think I know where you're going with this? Even though I have a dual. All right, go ahead. Let me see if I got it right. They're both the Boston Red Sox. Yep, yep, what? yep. I knew the it. First one's 2004. Yep. The one's Boston Marathon. We suck. And I, <laughs> I respect it because that was honestly what we came so close to doing in 2001 when the Yankees yeah. won the World Series. And honestly, you can argue the 2001 Diamondbacks were a miracle team because Luis Gonzalez literally hit that off the nub of his battle with Mariano Rivera. Off the best closer of all time. Yeah. Right. So you can make that argument that they are too. Yeah. But I think that, you know, obviously it's pretty self-explanatory. Like the Yankees teams were coming off a dynasty. I think the, the Red Sox shouldn't have been down 3-0 based on the roster that they had. But the fact that they did go down 3-0 and came back from it and then went on to continue that momentum and win the World Series, they have to be discussed. But they don't need a long discussion. So moving on. Don't we want to use it for motivation now, guys? That's what we want, right? Yeah, let's watch it for motivation. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> but they deserve to have a shout-out. And I give them that respect. And Johnny Gomes also put that, you know, him and Ortiz put the team on their back right after yeah. the Boston Marathon. So I respect that. So, Zachy, hit us with the currents. All right. In terms of current events. The big one for me in terms of like state of the overall league is that the Tampa Bay Rays are here to stay. If anyone is watching. Why? What? All 12 of their fans. All 12 of their fans. I am. Well, I want to go to the stadium. I mean, you got to see the renderings. I mean, I know it's just concept art, but my God, it looks. Does it have a roof? It does, but it's glass. God damn it. (laughs) You can't play. No more catwalks. No more catwalks, though. Um, so here we go. Organization announced a new ballpark to stay in Florida, but it will open in 2028. So I'm going to be a long time before I head oh there my. myself with the boys. It's also <laughs> opening alongside housing, shopping, concert venue, museums, and more. Sounds familiar, right, Josh? Mr. Charles Wang? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. <laughs> how many? How many? Listen, the th- thing is that he's not the only one that's, that's, that's suggested things like this and then gotten shot down. Mm-hmm. So I'm honestly quite surprised that. Well, maybe I'm not because DeSantis is a lunatic, but that they would approve something like this. In terms of pros and cons, again, the renderings, it's, I know it's concept art. Oakland's look cool, but this one looks great. The dome is much, much higher than the Trop, so it's not going to interfere with play. And it's mostly glass panels, so you won't be dealing with catwalks, and there'll be a lot of natural light, which will be great. I just hope the stadium doesn't get too hot with all that glass. Sounds glass, like just the, so the, so the players don't lose the balls in the glass and the glare. Yeah, oh I know. God, That's something they genius. definitely got to work out. But, Mama, the glare's in my eyes. I can't see the ball. Do you guys remember the the roof on uh, 
what was it in Minneapolis for the Twins Old Stadium? Yeah, it reminds me of that. Now that I'm looking at it, Humphrey Dome. Yeah, the Homer Dome. Oh, Homer Dome, right? Um, also, side note: looks like there's now two Stingray pools. That's just the concept art, but I hope so because that's freaking awesome. I'm cool with that. When they mean they are staying in Florida and St. Petersburg, they are literally staying in St. Petersburg. The arena is going to be built in the Trout parking lot, the same exact spot. And this is the number one reason the locals argue that no one comes to the games. Um, yep. The Rays are a very good team now. You know, they're proven. They made the playoffs for five straight years, but are constantly in the bottom third of attendance. And um, it's due to the fact that it is in St. Petersburg and not in the actual Tampa area, which is about a 45-minute to an hour drive with, like, no traffic. So I don't know how long it is with traffic. But a lot of the fans around there. Yeah. Their argument is that if you move, like, if you move to the stadium to where the Bucks and the Lightning play, um, there's access to public transit buses in Metro. um, So there'd be a lot more fans attending the games. But since the only way to get there is to drive – through traffic lots of people don't go this is the wrong tree to bark but we grew up in new york and metlife stadium is such a train wreck i know and i I still go to games right so i went opening night in a flash you're going when the shelter in place i was driving there yeah baseball is different because football is going to be a big draw no matter what for that third of the year yeah, it's fair. I guess football once a week too. Baseball's every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, guess. I saw I saw the same thing you're talking about, and I know, and and there were some preliminary discussions on, you know, public transport and, and stuff like that. You know, you know, like the island is built UBS, and and obviously it's built on yeah, you know, the Cross Island Parkway, which is an absolute disaster at all times of day. Yeah. Um. So they, you know, they extend a train line there specifically for the stadium. I mean, it took extra time past when the stadium was open that might be something tampa's going to not want to but have to look into if they have any right you know desire to put anybody in the seats yeah any high-speed rail or something like that i do think it might be it might have been a missed opportunity to relocate if you're building a new stadium anyway you might as well give it a shot in the metro area where the other teams are doing better than you i mean that are, those are my thoughts yeah, I don't know what you guys think. What do you guys think about them staying in, the, in exactly the same spot? I, I think that's terrible. I, I mean, the whole point is that they're, it's not that they're not showing up to the trop because it's the trop. They're not showing up to the trop because they don't like going, like, they don't like the yeah. pilgrimage that it takes to get there. Yeah. You're not I think it's incredible that a franchise is getting a new stadium in general. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. I think they it's definitely a missed opportunity. Like, Like, if you're already spending the, you know, billions of dollars to build the new stadium you might as well move it to a higher populated area absolutely I'm sure logistically it didn't work out i guess not yeah or politicians stood in the way as usual that's when you say much they usually do mm-hmm. uh, yeah i think it's uh this the owners are taking more than half of it on i want to say about 700 million i think the city is around like 300 million yeah well you know you know you know what the politicians do is they they sit there and they, they whine and they moan they don't have jobs they don't have money and then somebody comes with a giant proposal saying we'll, we'll fund 90 percent of it and all you have yeah. to do is all you have to do is put up the rest you know that last 10 percent and we're going to okay. give you, you know thousands of jobs and all of this money that's going to come into your your town and your city and they look at it and they stick their noses up in the air and they go no we don't want this. And then five years later, they're crying about not having jobs. 
Yeah. I'm not salty or anything with Nassau Coliseum. I'm just. This <laughs> is exactly exactly what they did on Long Island, where they no, cried. They cried they had no jobs. Wong was putting up his own money to build an arena, a nice hotel, dining, entertainment. Yep. Exactly what they're doing with the Rays, and the politicians stuck their noses up and said, "No, we don't want to do that." But if they don't and then do that, five they just years later, move. cried they couldn't, they didn't have jobs, and that the town was turning into blood. <laughs> move to Louisville, call your team the Louisville Sluggers, and you're perfect. No, no. I don't know how no, no one's taking that opportunity. Nashville is the biggest. We just need an expansion team, the Savannah Bananas. Savannah, <laughs> true. Honestly. Take the current Savannah Bananas, have them play the pros. Yeah. Honestly, they'd probably be better than the athletics. Yeah. Uh, going back to Mike's point really quick, though, I think that does kind of nip the Montreal experiment in the bud. I know there was a rumor a few years back to split their season in Montreal. That would have been even worse. It was, and that would have been much worse. It down, saying that it's not possible whatsoever. Yeah, but uh, I guess that, that finally kills that. So, I mean. Like, I can almost understand doing half your season in Suffolk County and half your season in Nassau County, but Tampa and Montreal? Any other thoughts on the Rays? No, I just think it's it doesn't solve their key issue. I I get the idea of the appeal of the new stadium. I do, but if that if the main issue is getting there and transportation, unless they're trying to figure out a way to do the high speed rail, I don't see what yeah. or even a subway station. I don't know how it works. Yeah, some kind of metro. They got to get something out there to get people out there. Um, but yeah, I agree. They definitely need to work on on the commute to the stadium for sure. Yeah, All especially right. they're putting it in the middle of nowhere. Um, I know we talked about these next two things a lot off the pod, but a few weeks ago, Stan hit his 400th home run, and Ueno got mm-hmm. his 200th win. So I just wanted to reintroduce these conversations so we can get them on the record. So um, we talked about this before. Stan hit four home run. Uh, even in his down year, he proved that he can still hit 20 to 25 home runs. I mean, he's been abysmal this year, but he still has 20-something home runs. Um, he has four years left on his Yankee deal, and even if, if he averages around 25 a year and he hits the 500 mark, is he a Hall of Famer? I wanted to throw it to Mike because he had a really good comparison to uh, Albert Bell on this one. I want to start with the caveat that if he hits 500 home runs, I would vote for him and I would have him in. I personally think once, you know, I understand the push against magic numbers, but I think you need to have a Hall of Fame level career to be able to get 500 home runs, especially clean. So Stanton right now is 402. I think there's two separate questions here. Is he a Hall of Famer if he hits 500 home runs? Yes, in my opinion. Do I think he hits 500 home runs? I don't. Um, I think oh, as time goes on, we're already seeing the injury bug has been going on for his essentially his whole career, really. And yeah. when he's healthy, he was dominant. But even now, the batting average is dropping. I don't even know if it's going to be a matter of him staying healthy. Yankees might buy out his contract similar to Mark Teixeira. And when we're looking at the leaderboard for all-time home run leaders, I I went through StatHead. I put in uh, eligible players who are not in the Hall of Fame, meaning anyone retired in 2018 or prior, so starting Mm -hmm. this year. The top seven home run hitters who are not in the Hall of Fame and eligible are all implicated with steroid use. Bonds, A-Rod, Sosa, Maguire, Palmero, Manny, and Sheffield. After that, you have Adrian Beltre and Carlos Delgado. Those are your first two quote-unquote clean guys. Then Jose Canseco, steroids. Adam Dunn, Dave Kingman, Jason Giambi, steroids. Paul Canerco, Carlos Beltran, Astro Scandal, but will end up getting in. 
Juan Gonzalez, steroids, Andrew Jones, Daryl Evans, Alfonso Soriano, and Mark Teixeira. So those are the top 20 non-Hall of Fame elig- but eligible home run hitters in baseball history. Mark Teixeira is 20 at 409. So right now Stanton would be 21 just under him. And I remember having this exact same conversation with my dad and with other people that Mark Teixeira hits 500 home runs, the Hall of Famer. And we thought that was promising. And eventually the Yankees bought out his contract and that was it. I think eventually Hal's going to hit his limit and eventually we'll buy him out because he did it before. He did it before. He's different than he was then, yes. But he has done it in the past when he bought out A-Rod and he bought out Teixeira back-to-back. Uh-huh. I think it was the same week. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, no, you're right. No, I don't And even then, who's to say that Aaron Boone is going to continue playing him? They might just let him rot. I get that. Sabermetrics are going to say this and that. Eventually, Aaron Judge is not. The Sabermetrics says he's still hitting home runs. That means we have to put him in exactly. a lineup. Yeah, but also he also has a negative war on the season, Josh. Yeah. No, the sabermetrics say he's still hitting home runs. They had to put him in the line. Don't you know that the Yankees love their sabermetrics, but they're too stupid to even understand what they mean? I agree, but he has a negative one war, which is the most basic sabermetric stat that all these guys look at. Yeah. So clearly the sabermetrics are telling us something else. And when we get to the point that Stanton will be eligible, the top 20 – he's 25th all-time – in non-Hall of Fame home run hitters right now, including those who are not eligible. So that includes the Pujolses, the Cabreras. That number is going to increase by the time he ends up eligible at a minimum. Let's say he plays next year for sure, a minimum of six years. People will eventually pass that number, whether it's Manny Machado or Freddie Freeman or Paul Goldschmidt. Mm -hmm. They're going to pass that, and it's going to look increasingly less and less significant. And that's what her Fred McGriff was that all these steroid guys were, you know, climbing up the record books, and he was just kind of sitting there at a, you know, a quote unquote mediocre four ninety three when he should have been in twenty years ago. But again, like I said, McGriff hit four ninety three home runs clean. He had to wait a full ten years on the ballot and get in on a veterans committee to get in. I think even if Stanton hits five hundred, he's not going to be an automatic. He'd have my vote. I don't think he's even automatic, especially if he's hitting under 200 for the next five years. And right. I have no evidence to tell me otherwise that he's going to hit above that. But going into the comparison with Albert Bell. So right now, this is under the assumption that Stanton never plays another game, right? He's right. Albert Bell is pretty much above him in every category, but it's close enough to talk about. So Stanton has three more wins above replacement. It's 43.9 to 40.1. Albert Bell has played eight more games, and he's had about 250 more plate appearances. He's had two he has about 250 more hits, 20 less home runs, 200 more RBIs. Now remember, this is eight more games. Yeah. So he's he just has better. a 35 point higher batting average. Yeah. And he has about a 65 higher OPS. And a but his OPS plus is only above him by six, 144 to 138. So that accounts for the ballpark he played in and accounts for the era he played in. They both made five All-Star teams. Stanton has an MVP, but when we look at MVP finishes, he has a first, a second, and then the, the third highest finish Stanton ever had was 19. Albert Bell had 2, 3, 3, 7, 8, and 23. Albert Bell lasted on the ballot for two years. Wow. Now, again, Albert Bell doesn't have the magic numbers because he didn't last long enough, but he does have a cult following of people who are going to continue to advocate for his case, and a lot of people are going to say he's not in simply because he was mean to the media. But 
I think his numbers do fall just short as it is. Um, I definitely had a peak case. Um, and I think he would have won an MVP if he was nicer to the media, but that shouldn't be the reason. Um, <laughs> but a career 933 OPS is obviously elite. Yeah. Um, but 40 war is going to hold him back. And if the writers are going to have something to hold against him, they will use it. So I think Albert Bell is a similar case in terms of stats, but he's over him pretty handily at this point. And Stanton desperately needs that 500 home runs to even have a chance at a case. No, I don't, I don't think that he would get in then. I mean, Bell is just clearly the better player. The other Um, issue is that Stanton. So Jay Jaffe, who wrote the Cooperstown case book and does all those cases. um, And he invented Jaws. He does case by case basis every year for each player on the ballot. And they're really detailed. It tells great stories with it. But he mentioned the rule of 2000. And until the Veterans Committee in 2022, when they elected Tony Oliva and Gil Hodges, there was no one in the modern era of balloting, like past 1960 or 1965 or whatever it was, no one under 2,000 hits was ever elected to the Hall of Fame since then. Until Tony Oliva with 1917 and Gil Hodges with, I believe, 1970 broke through that. Stanton has 1,450 hits. Yeah, he's not no, no shot. Even yeah, if he gets no the 500 home runs, he's going to have a case similar to Mark McGuire without the long-term dominance, but also without the steroid use. He would have been a great yeah. test case for him if he was clean. So Eileen, no. I As soon as he hits 500 or gets closer, I can evaluate it more. But I've just seen too many guys kind of fall off the rails quickly once they get to around this number he's still below like for perspective here, here are some guys we saw play who were above him delgado adam mm-hmm. dunn paul canerco andrew jones alfonso soriano mark Teixeira. what do a lot of those guys have in common when they fell they fell quick yeah Sandin fall Sandin fell quick years ago so when he falls again it ain't gonna be good and he can't feel that he has nothing going for him. He has no fielding accolades whatsoever, Stan, at all. And like, that's at least the to share it with metrics. But that being said, I'd love to see it. I like Giancarlo Stanton. I I hope he hits 90 more homers for the Yankees. That'd be great for us. But yeah. do I see it? No. And then we had Wayno getting his 200th win. I don't know what you guys think. I also lean no on this one as well. I do. He, he has a very small peak from like 2010 to 2014, 2015-ish, and then just kind of – he's a very solid player, no doubt, but I don't think I don't think he gets in. I don't know I'll be honest. Think. I don't know what to make of Wainwright uh, because he has two Cy Young runner-ups, two third-place finishes. So he was a top three pitcher in his league four times. The problem is that there's going to be two things that come to mind when you think of Adam Wainwright's career in five years from now when he's eligible. The strikeout of Carlos Beltran in 2006 to go to the World Series. That <laughs> nasty curveball that buckled his knees. That's great. The negative, though, is I don't know if staying around for the 200th win is going to help him the way we think. And it's ironic considering I think the it's the opposite for Stanton. But this year of going 5-11 and with a 7.0 yeah. ERA and a 5.99 fielder, fielding independent pitching. Gross. And an almost two whip, that's what's going to be remembered in the voters. It's not going to be remembered that he got his 200th win. It's going to be remembered that he 
He shouldn't have played this year. Because it was garbage <laughs> time, essentially, for the Cardinals. Yeah. They kept letting him start so that eventually he would get it. So he compiled a number that is far from a magic number. Wainwright's one of my favorite pitchers from the last 10, 15 years. I'd love to see it. And I, I, I'm more optimistic about his case than I am for Stanton. My reason being is the Harold Baines clause. He has more mm-hmm. Hall of Fame teammates that can go to bat for him when the Veterans Committee ballot comes on. So right. in a world where Tony, if Tony La Russa is still alive and well, which we hope he is, and he's on the Veterans Committee who advocated for Harold Baines, and Albert Pujols is going to be a Hall of Famer, Yadier Molina will be a Hall of Famer through the BBWAA at some point, and Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer now. Scott Folio, he, he is. Like I, I'm not I a fan of him either, but like, and Jim Edmonds eventually might have a Veterans Committee case who I would advocate for. He's one I would do a whole Twitter account for because I think he belongs. He has a lot of people that are in his corner who would back that up. And I think a lot of sports writers would like that story of how he got to the 200 and that'll be marketed really well, especially when 200 is becoming less, less and less, less of a thing. Common. Yeah, I wouldn't vote for him. It's a reluctant no, but I could see a world where he gets in. And lastly, Acuna, I just wanted to bring this up. He's on pace for the 40-70 season. I know I texted you guys this, but I think this is going to be one of the top five maybe seasons of all time. He's also almost batting 340. Excuse me? And, hmm? Excuse me? The only other comparison I can think of is Ricky, and he had – 80 stolen bases. What? And 24 home runs. You're saying top five season ever? I'm sure people are going to market it like that, right? He's not even leading his league in war. Are you serious? I'm not, not a war guy. He, he might lose oh. MVP. He should not lose MVP. I don't think, I don't think there's, there's a, a... I think he should opinion, win it, no but I think he should ever win. He should lose argument. I don't, I don't think, in my opinion, that Mookie Betts... As should beat beat Acuna period whatsoever, and the only reason why Betts uh, why Betts is a higher WAR than Acuna is because Betts fields multiple positions. It's the only reason whatsoever, mm. literally the only reason. I guess is this just the Otani argument that we've seen? We're seeing something that's never been done before, so like we're freaking yeah, out. But people are gonna water down. The- I don't think many people are freaking out either. To be fair, oh, just yeah. me then. Okay, I mean, I think I, no. I mean, I mean, I think it's definitely a feat, and it's something we've never we've never seen before. I mean, there's only been four 40-40 seasons, or four forty four players that have ever gotten a forty forty season ever, and he's about to do a forty seventy. Yeah, which is incredible. But I wouldn't call it a top five season ever. I'm gonna try something out now that you brought this up. So I'm gonna ask you this. Uh-oh. So we're gonna start with I'm gonna just name off some seasons and just tell me right off the bat. I know what you're gonna say. You're gonna go Joe DiMaggio. No, 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 no. I'm gonna I'm gonna name some stats. Okay. And just go right off the cuff. Tell 61 me if you homers, homers. Sixty-two homers. Nope. 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 139 hits. 129 homers. 322 batting average. 456 on base percentage. 657 slugging percentage. 1.114 OPS and a 217 OPS plus. Wow. Next, 158 runs scored, 172 hits, 54 home runs, 135 RBIs, 376 batting average, 532 on base, 1.379 OPS, and a 255 OPS+. plus. Who is that? Next, next, 59 homers, 168 RBIs, 145 walks, which led the league by about 100. 
Good batting average, 512 on base, 846 right. slugging, 1.359 OPS, and a 239 OPS plus. I see where you go with this. That's three seasons of Babe Ruth alone. Oh, jeez. And those were in his best seasons. <laughs> I know. Like, when he hit All 30 right. home runs. Let me, let, me, uh, let, me, let me tell us one back for you. This is one of the best – this is one of the best – seasons top five seasons that we've seen in the last 20 years there you go zach thank you thank you is it <laughs> all right fine let's try this all right all right i'm sorry one of the top 10 seasons we've seen in the last 10 years I stop it josh watch. you're making it worse josh i'll give you 10 i'll give you 10 <laughs> but we'll say well, for what it's worth mike trout has had a 160 or above ops plus in three right, four, so five, six, my, seven, uh, eight, nine ten eleven seasons let me ask you. I think you, we're just stuck on the magic number. That's a yeah. On this the season when Ricky stole eighty bags and hit three fifteen and only struck out sixty five times. Like where where does that rank? Is that not even like top twenty? No, I think it's up there. I just think stolen bases as a whole is just not as valuable as I, I think it's more valuable for entertainment aspects. Because all the sabermetric nerds got rid of stolen bases for years. The only reason why stolen bases started again was because Rob Manfred said, hey, let's make the bases bigger. And that was actually one of the few good changes he's made. Yeah. That's not it why. makes it entertaining. But I question the That's value. not why there's more stolen bases. Stolen bases. I'd yeah, rather have guy just can't pick off five people. runs. Yeah, because you only get three pick. You only get three, three moves, step offs. Yeah. Or you get two and then the third one, the guy gets the base if you don't get him. I yeah. would take – But that's uh, why. Would you take Judge's season last year or Acuna's season this year? Judge's season last year. I agree. Really? Would you take Otani's season two years ago or Acuna's season this year? I'm I, already I know you don't like Otani. I'm taking Otani. That's so – wait, so – I would take Acuna's hitting season over Otani's hitting season. That's what fair. Was, what was Judge's pick? average last year? Was he batting 300? Yep. I think he had like 290-something. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, I guess I – ah, he got me. <laughs> I might take Brian Howard's best season over – like when he oh, when God. he had that dominant year, and I'm not saying this district Ronald Acuna like he's part of my team. I love Ronald Acuna. <laughs> I just, I, he is my vote for MVP. Um, as much as I like Mookie Betts, he is my top pick for MVP. I think Acuna yeah, deserves same. MVP. He deserves and it. I just don't know if the stolen bases bring enough value as a whole to put him in the same category as a guy with a 60 home run season, or a guy who's pitching and hitting, or even Miguel Cabrera's triple crown season, you know, anything like that. Any out prime Albert Pujols seasons, I think. And there's the difference between Acuna and all those guys was there was no doubt who the best player in the league was in those seasons. There was no right. doubt when Mike was the best in baseball. There was no doubt when Miguel Cabrera was the best in baseball. There was no doubt when Otani was the best in baseball. There was no doubt when Pujols was the best in baseball. But even A-Rod. But there, there's a slimmer of doubt among baseball fans whether or not Acuna is the MVP, and I think that kills it in terms of top seasons ever. All right, thank you for listening to 1914 edition of Championship or Bust. We will see you real soon with 1915. We're getting closer and closer to 100 years from where we are right now. But the Boston Red Sox uh. are coming to the Philadelphia Phillies, so we have Zach's team taking on Zach's enemy. All right. See you guys later. Peace.